0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at org. This episode is brought to you by
2: GigPro, the staffing solution for businesses and workers in the hospitality industry check out gigpro.com and download the GigPro app today.
1: Hey there, and welcome to the Feed Feed podcast. I'm Alexa Santos, a senior producer at The Feedfeed. Feed. The Feedfeed Feed is the world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community, serving as your daily source for what to cook, bake, eat, and drink. Here on the Feedfeed Feed Podcast, we are speaking with members of the hashtag Feedfeed Feed community to hear their stories, learn about their culinary inspirations, and get some of their best cooking tips. Today I'm so excited to be joined by Jorge Gavidia. Jorge is a food business owner and brand new cookbook author of the book MASA. Masa, as an ingredient, is essentially a corn dough, and Jorge's book, Masa, is all about the history of Masa. His work has an emphasis on celebrating the richness of the Mexican kitchen through ingredients, tools, and more. So welcome to the Feed Feed podcast, Jorge. I'm so excited to chat with you.
3: Thanks so much, Alexa. My pleasure.
1: Yes. So Masa seems to be a a theme in everything you have going on. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And why, why is that?
3: You know, it's uh, its really the connective tissue of Latin America. And I grew up in a Latin American community in Miami. Uh, my parents are, are from various, you know, Latino communities, and um, yeah, I think uh, I wanted to deepen my connection to my roots, and I think it really starts with masa.
1: Yeah. So, where are your far- your parents from?
3: My mom was born in Mexico, um, which is is a pretty big masa-faring nation, and uh, my my dad was born in Cuba. But, you know, being in Miami, we're really kind of uh, exposed to a melting pot of communities, you know, from Venezuela, Guatemala, uh, Argentina, Peru, you know, all over. Um, And I think that kind of it piqued my curiosity at a really young age that, you know, food could really connect so many cultures that had very distinct identities, but, you know, they could rally around one very important staple like masa.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's so it's awesome to me that you're from South Florida, because I am as well. And right. I do not have, you know, Latin American parents. But just growing up there, I felt like my whole life, I had so much exposure to all of those cultures that you're talking about. I mean, all my friends, you know, I grew up eating, you know, Colombian food at my friend's house, or, you know, Venezuelan food at another friend's house. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, so I feel it's kind of awesome to talk to you where, you know, I kind of feel like a faux Latina just because of how <laughs> I grew up and how I was so surrounded by that. But I feel like people don't really understand unless you're from South Florida. or have spent a lot of time there just like how pervasive it is. You walk into a store and it pretty much, it's almost, you're going to be spoken to in Spanish to start. Sure. If you sure. Absolutely. Them, Oh, I don't speak Spanish. They're like, "Oh, okay." Like, you know, <laughs> especially me because I kind of I look a little Latina like I have dark hair, kind of tan. So, it's my whole life I've kind of had to tell people like, "No, I'm not," but, you know, Gosh. I get the I get the vibes. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah. South Florida where I mean, it's uh it, it, it Spanish is the official spoken language of of South Florida. <laughs> for
1: yeah, sure. Absolutely. So, you obviously had a very rich kind of cultural background in all things, but especially with food. So did you grow up kind of learning more about the Mexican side of your heritage with as it pertains to food? Or I guess, how did you become so passionate about the Mexican side of your background?
3: You know, I think it's the one, frankly, that tastes the best. Uh, no competition <laughs> here, but like, you know, Cuban food's really good. I love it. Um, it's very nostalgic for it, but it, it doesn't have quite as much you know, complexity, and uh, flavors because it's such a small place, you know, geographically. Um, so, you know, Mexico just has so many different microclimates and regions and, you know, and, and kitchens that are associated with those regions that it just kind of, it, it started to really blow my mind when I started to, started to understand the full extent of that, that range. Um, and, you know, I like spicy foods also for what it's worth. And Cuban yeah, food is notoriously not spicy. Yes. It's very Caribbean, you know, and um, again, not, one is not better than the other. But I think my, as my palate evolved over time, I became more curious about, you know, the foods of Mexico because uh, they just, they, they, they satisfied a lot of different uh, cravings for me.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's kind of a misconception a lot too, is, you know, people come to Miami looking for Cuban food and then they're surprised by how, you know, not plain it is, but yeah, it's not spicy food. It's sort of, yeah. it's more staples, you know, it's like a roast. Yeah, I, rice and I had
3: chilies. Yeah. I now add chilies to all my Cuban dishes.
1: Good. Good for you. My my parents yeah. Never yeah. respect that very much. They're big um, <laughs> food lovers, so um, you know, nothing wrong with Cuban food. I mean, I can get behind pretty much all of it. But yeah, it's not that same kind of kick and complexity. And I feel like people don't necessarily know that. So
3: oh, man. Anyway, still good,
1: interesting. So did you spend time growing up going back to Mexico? Or what was kind of your no,
3: you know, like, uh, my, my mom, while she was born in Mexico, you know, she traveled uh, all around Latin America as her parents really tried to find a place to, to settle. Um, and, you know, they went to Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, you know, all parts of kind of the United States. So, you know, her even connection to Mexico wasn't as strong. And there were moments, right? Like I had, I grew up eating carnitas on the weekends and I would make little like toaster tostadas, you know, with like monster cheese on top of like a corn tortilla, <laughs> you know, and lots of hot sauce. But, um, you know, it wasn't uh, it wasn't very provocative, you know, until I started to kind of get outside of Miami and explore, you know, what Mexican communities in the U.S. had to offer. Um, And just, you know, I think like that first moment for me, I was really, really young, maybe like five. uh, I went to upstate New York to visit my uncle and went to Newburgh and he took me to a taqueria where I had my first barbacoa taco. And I was just Mm. like, my God, this is this is not this is not Taco Bell. This is like a, this is something completely different. Um, and it just completely, you know, it changed, it, it corrupted my palate forever. Cause that's all I could ever think of after that.
1: I mean, that's fair. That's perfectly valid. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you start taking up such an interest in, I guess, kind of learning how to cook and like, I guess, what's your journey from, you know, having your eyes open by this taco to now having kind of all of your work centered around, you know, celebrating the richness of the Mexican kitchen.
3: Yeah, I, you know, I, I wasn't planning on getting into the food business. I always wanted to, but my dad, uh, my dad is a lawyer or was a lawyer and um, he, he just doesn't really practice law anymore. Still alive. Um But uh, he, you know, he really encouraged me to go to law school. He sort of led me down that path and it was close to, you know the time of committing to law school. I had already taken the LSATs. Honestly, didn't do very well. It was like very sad about <laughs> about the decision. And uh, you know, I read Danny Meyer's book, Setting the Table, and uh, he he kind of just had the same experience. He was about to go to law school, uh, take the LSATs, and he talked to some, you know some family members, and they were like, "What are you doing? You really love food. Like you should just pay attention to that." And I had you know I I, I realized that it, all of my time was spent thinking about food and where my next meal was going to come from and, you know, where, where to, where to try in New York or wherever I was traveling to. And I think, you know, just kind of having that, that reference point emboldened me to, to follow a similar path. And, um, I started exploring a lot of different, you know, areas of food from farming to, you know, the front of house, to the back of house, uh, restaurants. Um, and it was where, when I was working actually at, uh, Blue Hill at Stone Barns in upstate New York that, um, or in West, Westchester, it's not really upstate, but yeah, Westchester, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, we, uh, we I, I kind of just realized like, man, I, I don't see the same kind of focus uh, on quality uh, and storytelling and sourcing um, mm-hmm. in the foods that I grew up eating, you know, quite like the way I see it here represented in this sort of new American cuisine. And my goal, I think from that point was obsessively to just to make those connections and the foods that I really care about and that really defined my, my identity.
1: Awesome. That's amazing. So did you go, were you, what were you doing at Blue Hill? Were you, did you go to culinary school and you were like on the line? No. Off, or this was no like- so <laughs> I
3: worked. So I, when I was in it, I, so I, I, I graduated from college. Um, I was a communication studies major. I taught uh, in AmeriCorps for two years Um, and that was sort of that, that fight or flight moment when I was going to go to law school and decided not to. And I went to Italy for a year to do a farming and butchering internship there. Um, and it was there that I met a chef that gave me my job actually at Danny Meyer restaurant, which was like, you know, full circle, the dream of dreams at that moment. Um, and I went to go work at a restaurant called Myolino in New York city as a line cook, and then still wanted access to farming and still wanted to kind of dip my toe into front of house. So I did what's called the. I don't know if they still have it at Blue Hill, it was the farm's apprenticeship, like a front of house apprenticeship for restaurant management service. So you really actually do rotations throughout every position in the restaurant, uh, including the back of house as well. So some time with the lion prepping, and uh, but also the farm. So you kind of are really well versed in how to best storytell table side when it comes to your front of house experience.
1: Absolutely. Well, that's really cool. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and what took you to, I guess, opening Macienda? And I guess tell well, first tell us about Macienda. What is Macienda all about?
3: Yeah, well, I guess the 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 gist of it is that when I was working at Blue Hill and I kind of had this revelation of seeing foods that, you know, I grew up eating not as well represented in this kind of like really intentional sourcing and um, kind of this farm to table philosophy. I was like, all right, well, what's the hardest food? To kind of redo, you know, like what's the food that like we know least about that stands to gain kind of the most from kind of like a, I don't know, like a, a come up, you know, a glow up, and uh, it was it was definitely masa, you know, like we think about corn in the U.S., it's like Franken food, you know, uh, no one really knows about masa, despite the fact that we all like everybody listening to this is probably eaten a taco or you know a tamal or a pupusa or some kind of masa based staple. Um, so I just thought like intellectually, that was very cool and something I could kind of really sink my teeth into. But I think the way originally I wanted to do this and kind of communicate this whole story was to start like the tartine bakery of, of masa in New York city in Brooklyn. And so like in the process of trying to set up the supply chain for that, um, you know, corn was needed and, uh, it took me several months to kind of research what I was going to do and found a really amazing opportunity in Mexico to start connecting with, this community of smallholder farmers who, you know, are really subsistence farmers. They don't grow for commercial gain. Um, but from time to time, they'll have these surplus of their crops, which happen to be the best quality crops of, of heirloom corn in the world. You know, it's the genetic origin of, of this food. So just such a rich history and legacy there um, and a need and an opportunity to create impact. So I kind of just got fully absorbed into that. I completely lost sight of the, the tortilleria. Um, by just kind of trying to establish that supply chain and, um, you know, connecting that supply chain with folks that I worked with in the restaurant industry, you know, it was sort of the natural extension of that, that, uh, that journey. And luckily I was working with some chefs that had a lot to say about it, um, had a lot of eyes on them at that moment, including Enrique Oliveira, uh, who opened up Cosme as our first customer, um, oh. Alex Stupak, Sean Brock, um, you know, uh, Carlos Salgado and Taco Maria, which is out in California. Um, And just like there was this moment of connectivity and the kind of, the ball just kind of got rolling on its own.
1: That's awesome. Oh my gosh. Well, yeah, it all kind of worked out then. All right. We're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors.
2: Gig Pro is the solution to the restaurant staffing crisis. We're offering businesses the chance to instantly fill their shifts and Food & Beverage Pros the chance for better wages, more flexibility in their schedules, and benefits. If you're a business, go to gigpro.com, create your free account, and post the shifts you need filled. If you're a hospitality worker, download the GigPro app, create your profile, start applying to shifts, and start getting paid. We know what hospitality businesses and workers need because we spent decades working in the industry ourselves. If you're tired of wasting money on broken recruiting tools or sending your resume into the void, you owe it to yourself to give GigPro a shot. Whether it's a couple shifts or a full-time hire, GigPro lets you 86 the broken staffing status quo and embrace a better future.
1: So masa, I mean, you talked about Masienda and how that all came about, but how you you said that there's kind of like a rich history, and I mean, obviously, your whole book is about this yeah. <laughs> about masa in general. So I guess what's kind of the the spark notes of it, this seems to be a very like important kind of tent pole for you know the cuisine that you're talking about, but then you also mentioned that it has roots in other cultures, I guess, what's kind of the spark notes there as best as you can do it?
3: <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, you know, masa comes from corn. Corn is a man-made invention. It requires human intervention to actually like reproduce, which is pretty crazy. Um, and so to think about that being a pretty singularly unbelievable invention to then like the, the science and kind of like mastery of taking what is otherwise a, an empty calorie, you know, being corn um, and converting it into a superfood, which is no joke. Like that is, that is what masa is. You know, it goes through this process of basically just cooking it in water, like you would do pasta or broccoli or whatever, but with a little bit of alkaline in it. So, which is just like a fancy word for like a basic substance. Um, it's just a powder that's derived from limestone. You just add that, cook it for a little while, let it soak. And this whole science alchemy process happens to the corn. And it makes it incredibly nutritious. It activates the naturally occurring uh, amino acids that your body could not otherwise absorb without that process. Um, it fortifies it with calcium. And it is really what catalyzed an entire civilization, you know, thousands of years ago. Um, so yeah, like who? no one really knows, you know, no one knows. It's a lot of mystery, which is really fun to speculate about. But you know, it's just trial and error, and and persistence, and right place, right time, right elements to work with, and uh, and it happened. But you know, the process is is not is not a it's not, it's not a fast one. You know, like to cook corn and let it soak and do that next nixtamalization process can take you know anywhere between eight to twelve hours. Um, then you got to grind it. You know, using some kind of basalt, you know, volcanic rock stone that used to be done. You know, on your hands and knees, just laboring over this sort of grinding surface called a metate, um, which you've probably seen there, like a smooth surface with a, you know, like a rod uh, that you would sort of drag over it right over and over and over again. Yeah. Well, that, that gave way to, you know, the electrified version of it, but it was still pretty time consuming. And, you know, we enter into kind of a totally different paradigm shift when this invention of masa, masa harina, which is basically dried masa flour. It takes the nixtamalized corn dough, you know, after you've nixtamalized the corn, you've ground it using that kind of basalt, basalt, uh, you know, grinding surface, you then dehydrate it and you have a shelf stable powder. And that is like a total game changer in the 20th century. You know, it completely changes the dynamic. It takes a process that was like 12 to 24 hours. You literally just add water and it's like the Bisquick or Folgers of Masa um and we we it was an amazing revelation but it took us pretty far from kind of that traditional approach that you know took into account the ingredients and you had a lot more choice about that ingredient um so there was a bit of a disruption and you know it's been around for a while now most people think of masarina, they think of maseka, um, and they actually use those names interchangeably which they're not Masarina is just masa flour. There are many brands of masa flour out there. Maseka tends to be the one that most people think of because it's the most successful um, and certainly the one that kind of became the household name.
1: Oh, okay. So yeah, I mean, I kind of had a feeling that you were going to be incredibly knowledgeable about this, but... (laughs) As,
3: let you know, me let me know if I can peel it back a little bit. No, I get, no, I get no. a pretty pretty deep dive in there.
1: No, no, no. I mean, you lived up you lived up to the masa hype. That's for sure. So <laughs> it's kind of like a goal, I guess. What are your goals and all in this mission of yours to kind of make masa more of a household staple or teach people about it? Or what is it that you kind of see as your vision with all of this?
3: I think that like. You know, just connecting with food in a more you know mindful, intentional way is just a it, it's a it's a game changer. It, it elevates the pleasure that you get out of that food when you understand how much work goes into it. You know, when you see how something is made, um, when you actually participate in that actively, it, it just it's an inspiring relationship that's created. And I think that to me was my that was sort of my. You know, rabbit hole, uh, entry point. And I think that's not dissimilar to how we all relate to food or anything. You know, when we have some more context about it, uh, it really strengthens the relationship that we have. And I think also for what it's worth, it really kind of impacts how we feel and relate to the cultures behind it. And, you know, masa covers so many cultures. It's a food that we all love whether we know it or not. And yet we know so little about it. And I think it invites an opportunity to explore the cultures behind it, the people, the stories, um, but it also just tastes really good. And uh, I think we want to just celebrate that connection as much as we can. And the book to me is, you know, it's a, there is something truly for everybody. You can take a really deep dive and do the kind of nerdy parts in there that are, you know, it's a, I think it's actually pretty accessible. I don't think it's limiting in that way, but, um, you know, it's certainly, might appeal to some more than others. There's stunning photography. The recipes are unbelievably delicious. We have worked on kind of traditional recipes and also some recipes with chefs that uh, you know we we really respect and admire. So there's there's you know it's a it's a cookbook, but it kind of it kind of hits checks a lot of boxes, and that's that's really meant to kind of I think meet anybody, any home cook, professional cook, wherever you're at at your level, um, and give you a reason to kind of dive in.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sold. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm de- definitely going to cook something from it now. I mean, not that I wasn't going to before, but I mean, it's, just yeah. like, it seems like a very kind of cool opportunity to try something new that has like such a rich and like you kind of mentioned untapped history that not, I mean, I didn't, I had no idea about any of this before you started talking yeah. about it today. So it, it is kind of crazy.
3: Just, just buy a bag of like Alexa. And, and, go nuts like it literally just adding water starting with that process it gives you the same feeling i don't know if you worked with like betty Crocker brownies growing up of course it's it's like the same thing it's like that kind of feeling that like oh my god i did it i did it from scratch and like it wasn't you know wasn't like exhausting to do it's like quite fun actually um you don't need to be into sourdough you don't need to be like a science geek it literally is one of the easiest things to do which is using masarina and the experience and the difference in the payoff is in my case was life changing but uh, i think i think it definitely can uh, can have a similar effect for, for most folks who give it a try
1: and where i mean if you're is it kind of hard to access that ingredient from most grocery stores or like where do you recommend people sourcing that
3: i mean i i, I would be remiss if i didn't say macienda.com. yeah uh, <laughs> so that's that would be my company we we are very proud to have created this value chain from scratch. So, you know, everything from the sourcing to the way it's produced is, has, has taken kind of a, a completely fresh approach. Um, so the quality is, is unbelievable of the Masa that we offer. It's got an, a real true depth of flavor that I think mirrors the experience that I had when I first went to Oaxaca and I tasted these heirloom corns and the masas that came from them. Um, so, you know, I could wax poetic about it all day long, but just start there. Um, and if you're, you know, if you don't want to do it on masa by the way, it's free shipping. If I didn't mention that already, um, you could, uh, you know, you also get 10% off your first purchase. I could go on. Um, yeah, every grocery store has some version of masa arena because it is such a ubiquitous staple. So, you know, don't let the type of masa arena you're using deter you from getting involved. We really encourage anybody to get in at any level they want. And, uh, we're never going to yuck anyone's yum.
1: Yeah. Well, and I mean, even just taking a peek, it's like the the masa harina is not expensive
3: at all. Yeah, it's- it makes like eighty four tortillas in our bag that we've got there, and it tastes phenomenal. Like the the flavor truly is is the is the piece that I think that you'll you'll be the most shocked about. Like you'll never have tasted a tortilla that good um, and- if you're used to what I grew up eating, which is basically everything made of masa.
1: Yeah, and then the, is the brand. He- do you need the tortilla press? Like now I'm like getting deep in this. Do you need the tortilla <laughs> press or like-
3: you, is- don't, you don't need it. You can totally like MacGyver it with two little sheets of, of plastic, you know, to kind of prevent it from sticking and like get a book, you know, use masa the book to, to flatten it uh, yeah. <laughs> with a lot of pressure. But, uh, you know, I think you could even, um, you know, there's lots of tortilla presses out there. We, we actually work with uh, an artisan in Oaxaca who produces one that we love all the chefs that we've worked with since the beginning of Masienda have asked us to bring these back. And at one point I was like, I think home cooks would really like this because I'm a home cook and I, it's changed my whole game. So yeah, we do offer that as well in a couple different colors. Um, and you know, it's, uh, it's, it, it helps. It definitely helps build some confidence there because it's a, it's a, it's an amazingly simple, but highly effective tool.
1: Yeah. And then, so I'm going to tell you something that's a bit of sacrilege that, I don't mm. like to admit all that often, but I... Scandal. I know. I am a sort of obnoxious and I usually typically do not love corn tortillas because... You and a lot of people. The ones that you get that are like more in this like fast or like not hand pressed or I don't know what they're made with. Like, even, especially you know, the, especially the ones you get from the store. They become... Can kind I guess of- what you're going to say? What?
3: They fall apart.
1: Yeah, they fall apart and they're soggy.
3: Soggy, interesting. Okay. Well, okay. I, yeah. I mean,
1: weird thing where I very much so hate soggy bread, like in sandwiches and anything. So if you have like a kind of like a juicy, I don't know, like carnitas, like or whatever it is in your taco, yeah. like that out of the, because you usually get two very flimsy, yes. tortillas, mm-hmm. and one of them is just sopping wet, <laughs> like no matter yeah. what. And so, yeah, they fall apart. And then I was always, you know, and it's embarrassing to be in South Florida, being like, "Oh well, do you can you do flour tortillas instead?" Because I'm no,
3: totally not I authentic
1: it. and not what's recommended. No, for-
3: there's there's no such thing as authentic or inauthentic. It's whatever is authentic to you.
1: Yeah, and so then once I went to a restaurant that I was covering for work that. Did hand press tortillas like and then put them on the plancha to heat them up for your tacos and whatever, it completely changed my perspective. And
3: what
1: I restaurant. I, I think this was Carlitos Taqueria in New Jersey, super random, when I, in, cool. when I lived in New York. So he is like a barbecue taqueria guy. I mean, it's it's a whole other tangent here, but he taught because I told him I was like, I don't really like corn tortillas. He was like, wait, just wait. And so I tried his, you know, hand-pressed corn tortillas that they were doing. You know, they had this like amazing woman in there who was like, you know, had these guns cuz you know, it's kind of you have to push them down. It's not you got to be a yeah, little I mean,
3: Yeah, give it a yeah, little back in for sure.
1: Yeah, give it a little elbow grease. She's pushing hand-pressed tortillas all day and they're heating them up to order and stuffing them with the taco ingredients and it completely changed my perspective. And so I t- until this moment of having this conversation with you, never considered to myself I can make that at home. I just completely oh, yeah. wrote that off. I figured, you know, I'm never going to have that, you know, delicious corn tortilla experience that I had in that in those restaurants that are hand pressing tortillas for me. So if that's not the case, I'm just going to do flour. Um, yeah. But,
3: can I give you a secret though? Yes. I think obviously the quality of the masa important. You know, making sure that the tortilla has like enough moisture important because if they're cracking it's because it's dry they're thirsty but Mm -hmm. the biggest thing is that when you go to make a tortilla at home whoever's listening to this when you cook the tortilla make sure you give it like two minutes to kind of rest in a kitchen towel or a tortilla warmer which we also conveniently offer at masiana.com but a, a kitchen towel is just fine and that kind of steaming that happens through it actually kind of builds in some elasticity so it doesn't fall apart and really kind of builds sort kind of a flexible, resilient tortilla, which is what you want, especially when you're doing it, you know, paired with like any sauces or kind of like highly, highly juicy, you know, uh, tacos that you're, you're working on.
1: Yeah. Okay. So I'm like, literally, like I said, I was looking at Mass. My- <laughs> I'm like, you're, you're like, oh, you know, we sold on Masienda. Like I, you sold me. I'm like, I'm buying this stuff because I, this is seems like a no brainer to really upgrade any type of, you know, taco night that you're doing at home. I just had fully written off that this was an experience I would ever have at home. So I think I'm a changed person now.
3: I I think so. I think so.
1: (laughs) Yeah. What is your, so out of, so you have yellow corn, white corn, blue corn, and red corn. And then what, What are the differences there? Just in flavor, look, texture, obviously a lot of things, but it seems like have all these varieties.
3: Yeah. I mean, like we, we actually, you know, we're never using just one variety. It'll be like, you know, one color, but it might be a different kind of corn. Um, Right now. I mean, they're all special. I think uh, I fell in love with the yellow to start because it was the first corn that I got to know in Oaxaca. And it literally, when I took a taste of the kernel itself, I, which I'd never done prior to Masienda, um, you know, you realize like we have heirloom tomatoes, we have heirloom, you know, I don't know like, heirloom beans. We have all of these things that have diversity in, in kind of the the catalog of what that ingredient is. But no one really thought about corn that way, you know, from a, I think like, like in, at least in a mainstream way. And corn is certainly no exception to that. You know, you've got this bolita uh, variety of corn, which is the one I first tried in Mexico, Oaxaca specifically. And it was like it had the flavors of like butternut squash and carrots. Not like overwhelming, but like noticeable, you know, if you were paying attention. And, you know, it has like a really, really resilient tortilla. Like it just held up super well. um, And. That's the basis of the, the yellow masarina that we use. It's just and it's an exquisite color, super vibrant yellow. Um, but yeah, then I'm like, all right, well, the white one's really good too. It kind of tastes like <laughs> the buttered popcorn that you get from a movie theater. Um, like no joke. It's like got the same kind of oil content. It's just really rich. So yeah, you start to go down this, this kind of path and you're like, man, there's just so much goodness all around that, that's worth trying.
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh. No, I'm like excited. And I hope that, I mean, it seems like your whole... Your whole thing worked on me, so I
3: still <laughs>
1: work on I, I,
3: I miyagi you. Cool, you
1: really did. I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I'm doing this now! Oh my, like, I really just fell for it. And not that it was your trapping me in any way, but I was, I was. Not, this was inception. Ah, that's what this was all, it was exactly how you drew it up. But exactly, just something that I think is super intriguing and fascinating and just kind of eye opening that it is something that. You don't necessarily, I mean, obviously in an ideal world, you would go to Mexico and have these learnings and, you know, kind of experiences for yourself in the place, but not all of us can do that. But mm-hmm. having that ability to experience sort of what you experienced that kind of changed your life um, yeah. in your own homes is like a very exciting thing. And especially with the book, like I'm going to be a masa gal now.
3: <laughs> I mean, I this is music to my ears. I'm so happy to hear it.
1: Yes. Yeah. I mean, usually, I mean, typically I would just be asking your story and whatever, which your story's great. But now I'm like, all right, everybody, like, listen up, do your masa at home, make your tortillas. Like, I, and what totally. else? And in the book, you have, you know, recipes. So it's does it go beyond tortillas, I assume, just into uh, Oh yeah.
3: yeah. I mean like we all think of pasta, right? Like another dough, right? That you can morph into a lot of different shapes and I think pasta has on record in Italy at least like 300 shapes, I think, with like a lot of different names in between. And masa is really similar actually. You know, you've got so many different variations on how to how to apply it in some kind of dish. So we have some things we've already talked about like tortillas, tostadas, um, uh, tamales, uh, arepas, you know, um, that covers like a really, that's a big chunk of folks who, who eat masa, but you've got all of these other ones in between. You've got these little which are sort of dumplings. They look like belly buttons, um, which sounds kind of gross to think about a belly button and like food, but, uh, it's really tasty. Um, you know, black Hoyos, uh, which are huge, like 14, 15 inch tortillas, um, you've got just a, a ton of diversity. And so I go into some of those shapes, um, you know, about 28 of them, uh, the most sort of like iconic shapes you see in masa, uh, how to traditionally prepare those using masa arena or using kind of the, the kernel to masa, like super, super scratch um, approach. But, you know, you can get to all of them with, with masa arena for sure. All right. And then some, we got some modern recipes that you wouldn't expect, like, you know, chocolate chip masa cookies, you know, or a masa waffle or um, just from some of the most talented chefs that we've worked with over the years, that are just like uh, they inspire what we do, and man, they make like delicious, accessible foods that use masa front and center.
1: Oh yeah, I love that. I'm excited. I'm very excited to 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 try this, and I'm excited for you to like, you know, this gospel of yours to get <laughs> preached out to other people, and like just for more people to kind of learn about this because. I mean, I have such a respect for, you know, Mexican cuisine and traditions. I just haven't unfortunately not had the chance to, you know, really get a in it in the country. And so, yeah, it's just very exciting to me to hear that this is kind of an experience that can sort of be replicated a little bit in my home. So that's very, very cool. And like, just, I appreciate you sharing all this with me and teaching me this and you know kind of breaking this down in a very digestible, no pun intended way. And- <laughs> Yeah, it's very, very cool work and you know, mad respect.
3: Thanks so much, Alexa. Really appreciate it. And uh, you know, share share your next tortilla puff with us when you when you do it. I Tag us.
1: I'm so excited.
3: <laughs> <laughs> awesome.
1: Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about the food and drink discovery platform that is the feedfeed, Feed, head to thefeedfeed.com. If you have a food story to tell or want us to interview a blogger, cookbook, author, chef, or restaurateur, we would love your suggestions. Just send us a DM on Instagram.